I'll start with common themes because really I think that's what has enabled me to move from industry to industry almost really seamlessly in the retention marketing space is because even though, you know, talking to a hardcore gamer is different than talking to a teacher at EdTech, they still want the same sort of one-to-one personalization. They don't want to be spammed. They want information that's helpful to them. They want things that are actionable. You know, treat your consumers the way you want to be treated. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to and watching the one-to-one consumer marketing podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Georgia Price, who is director of digital and CRM at Press Juice, a leading cold press juice brand. Georgia, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you taking time out of your day off uh, to join us on the podcast here. Before we get into our conversation, can you give our listeners a little bit more background on you, your current role, and also how you ended up there? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the director of digital marketing and CRM at Prest. I've been there for about two years, have been doing strictly e-com for about the last five years, but have worked in a number of different industries, primarily in the CRM retention marketing space, but have also done my time in product marketing. And I've been everywhere from, you know, long tail theory, social networking sites to gaming to ed tech and now e-com and CPG. So really, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, I bet that is a, a lot of different industries to be in. That might be a good way to segue into kind of how you see the consumer marketing space in general. Can you talk maybe some of the differences you've seen across industries and then some of the common themes that you see everywhere? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with common themes because really, I think that's what has enabled me to move from industry to industry almost really seamlessly in the retention marketing space is because even though, you know, talking to a hardcore gamer is different than talking to a teacher at EdTech, they still want the same sort of one-to-one personalization. They don't want to be spammed. They want information that's helpful to them. They want things that are actionable. You know, treat your consumers the way you want to be treated. It seems almost too simplistic. But with the tool set that, you know, we have available to us as marketers these days, we're able to do that. We're able to drill down and really understand who our customer is and where they are, whether they are playing a game on Facebook or they're buying cold pressed juice online. And so, you know, I I do think there's more similarities than differences, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I imagine... What do you see as like, you know, you mentioned one-to-one personalization and like kind of treating our customers how we want to be treated. Do you feel like that's the current state? Like, are we moving towards something where more and more brands are are doing that? Do you feel like there are some bad apples uh, in the market as well? Kind of how do you see it? I mean, I won't name names or anything like that. We're not going to get like dirty here. Uh, of course, there's there's folks that that overdo it. And I think in the CRM and retention space, and in my experience, personally, I've often been either a one-woman team or a very small team and had a lot of pressure from, you know, leadership to say, oh, we need to make these sales. We need to hit these numbers. Let's send an email to everyone. And mm-hmm. being, being able to stand up and sort of defend your channel and defend your consumers and be like, mm, actually, there's a smarter way we can do this. We have the ability to, you know, be more thoughtful. I think that more brands are understanding that, especially as the tool set and the channel options diversify. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that leads a little bit already into, you know, protecting your channel, like how you're thinking about customer retention and lifestyle marketing. Can you can you talk through that a little bit? How are you doing that at Prest and what is your kind of philosophy in general? Yeah. So at Prest, you know, I 
when I came in, my first order of business was really to understand our list. Uh, email was our primary channel. It still is. We've actually seen we've doubled our email volume in two years and have increased click-through rates uh, over 100% and open rates by over 50% and attributed revenue by something like 15%. So it's a channel that's still super, super growing for us and is still really valuable. So the first thing I did was like, look at that data set. How clean is this data? How, you know, are we really talking to people that are interested in juice? Are these folks that have dropped off and segmenting them based on where I think they were in their customer journey so that we weren't just hitting them with the same message all the time. Because while we have, you know, a hundred or so SKUs, it's primarily juice. And it's juice. <laughs> like you, you might not like the spicy juice, but you still like green juice. So there are some challenges around that personalization that we didn't have at, say, um, when I was at Wine.com previously, where there are 40,000 SKUs. And I could say, hey, if you like Pinot Noir, you might like a Gamay or something like that. It's, there's, there's less opportunity. So ensuring that that data and that list is really clean and that we're, you know, every six months deadwooding and that we're honoring and unsubscribe, we're honoring that implicit or explicit understanding of how much do you want to hear from us? <laughs> mm-hmm. And because of that, we've been able to ramp up from about, you know, three messages a week to almost daily while still maintaining, you know, good reputation, all good metrics, you know, good attributed, like I mentioned, attributed revenue and things like that. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, again, putting yourself in the, you know, from the side of the consumer, like managing communication preferences are a really key part of that. So it's like, you don't have so many Excuse to personalize, but you do want to respect like the ways in communication and also probably you mentioned the segments of where they are in their customer journey too. Are you doing personalization based on those moments in the customer journey? And what does that kind of look like? Yes, absolutely. So for us, it's more based around what kind of SKUs you're purchasing. So a customer who is, let's say, a more of a hardcore cleanse customer, right? They're mm-hmm. going to do a three-day cleanse. It's very different than someone that's just picking juices for taste because it delights them. They might have a juice every couple of days. And so, you know, those folks might never be hardcore cleansers and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And like we can tailor that content to talk, maybe not talk about cleansing or maybe talk about a half day fast or, you know, a juice set where you do one a day and try to upsell them into a larger bundle, a larger package. that's not a cleanse Mm -hmm. and talk to them in the way that they want to be spoken to. One thing I'm really excited about that we're launching soon is almost so simple. It's like, how have we not done this? But a product recommendation quiz. Like, I want that first party data. I want to know what flavors do you like? So I can stop telling you about this, like drink with ginger and cayenne that's super spicy and you hate spice. Like, I shouldn't stop bothering you about that. You're never going to buy it. And please tell me you don't like it. Um, So I'm really looking forward to having that implemented. Yeah, we've seen that on our site too. We run a lot of those types of product quizzes and messaging, and we do find it so valuable to capture that. You mentioned first-party data. We even see it as like zero-party data that's coming directly from customers because you're absolutely right. Like, why continuously try to sell something or like based on someone else's transaction history, think this person might be interested when you, like you said, that's such a good example of someone is never going to buy that spicy juice. You might as well just ask them and then you can and create a much more meaningful connection with them. So I love that example. You mentioned your leadership and, you know, the pressure to send emails all the time. Can you talk through a little bit how retention has it changed at your company over the last 12 months with everything that's happening in the market? Is there a bigger focus on it now? There's a much bigger focus. Crest is an omni-channel brand. We have about 115 retail stores as well as the digital side of the business. And so there's always, right, the pressure to get 
traffic into the stores. But there's a great over the last year, and especially through the pandemic, a greater understanding of the needs of the digital customer and the folks that aren't near a store, you know, don't want to pay for nationwide shipping, and they're going to, they only have a single option. They're going to order online for pickup or, or, or local delivery. And building out our site and building out our app in ways that are helpful to that customer and not just assuming everyone's going to go into the store has been a big change for us. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. And, you know, we're getting that data now around in-store visits so that we can, again, segment in a unique way where, you know, I might get pressure from leadership to say, oh, we need to like send this email or we we need sales in this region. And we can talk to exactly those customers that are near those stores that have made a purchase in the store differently than a customer who is only a digital customer. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? What does that look like in your CRM as far as like identifying customers that have visited specific stores? Is that through like you have transaction data that's tied to that specific customer and then you're kind of logging that across different stores? What does that look like technically? So there's two ways that we're doing it right now. We do have a loyalty program. Part of that loyalty program is a QR code that you use to check out. And so we're able to track that in-store purchase that way. And then I'm pulling that data into We're using Braze as our ESP and basically as our CRM and mm-hmm. pull that in-store visit as a unique customized event, as well as like event parameters around what that store is. And then we're using mm-hmm. geolocation as well from our app data to pull in as custom attributes on the profile, what stores a customer is near so that mm-hmm. we can target them correctly or with a, you know, a limited time promo or we have, you know, geolocation push notifications saying, hey, you're near, you know, press curling game. Like, why don't you stop in for your favorite, you know, fill in the blank of what their most purchased item is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. So really using that, like the loyalty program as a way to capture even more of that first party data to segment and personalize. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the example. Yeah. I can imagine with that shift to digital, a lot of attention on like loyalty and even some of that, like you mentioned, building out those journeys and raise, there must be quite a lot of challenges uh, when it comes to retention and loyalty. Can you talk through some of those? Yeah. Yeah. So our loyalty program is two tiered. So we have a free version, which, you know, right? You sign up, you accumulate points, you get free product. That's the end of the day. We also have a sort of VIP pricing tier where you commit to uploading at least $10 a month into a digital wallet. And that gives you discounted pricing on everything. So the the challenge is really moving those free press points members into that VIP tier. Obviously, no surprise that tier has higher LTV. Like we'd love everyone to give us $10 a month. How can you know that would be great? Like go for it. You know, but it's, you have to make it compelling for them. And right now we're actually, my team is working through potentially revamping our entire loyalty program in order to make it more accessible to more people and less, I think, you know, with this pricing tier, it can be a little confusing. Why am I giving you $10? How am I getting these? Why are there two prices on the website? That's been a challenge for us that we're working through. And we also are doing a ton of testing around what is like the best offer to associate with joining a loyalty program. We found that there's a significant number of people that are joined the program, the free version, just to claim their free item that you get at sign up. And then we never hear from them again. We're like, okay, well, what can we do here with this opportunity and all of these people, one, to get those people to purchase and two, stop them from doing that, that behavior, get them to actually engage with the brand and not just claim a pretty good discount. Yeah, that's a big challenge, I think, for a lot of loyalty programs, because there are always those people that love a good deal and, and that can take advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's cool. Like, try the brand, but like, 
can you come back, please? Thanks. <laughs> and that's where I come in. And we're, you know, I'm a one woman team. So it is, you know, it's limited in what we can really, what I and like a couple of engineers can put out, you know, every year. Yeah. And so how do you, th- I mean, you mentioned obviously like there's that activation component through the discount. Like how do you, I'm sure that as a one woman team, you're also having to prioritize every day. Like there could be a hundred thousand things you could do, but you got to pick three. Otherwise your day is, is over already. How do you prioritize that? And then like, how are you thinking about, you know, what is the most important parts of the, the loyalty program to fix? Over the last two years, we've invested a lot in our data infrastructure and really understand, you know, Prest is over 10 years old, but a lot of that information around our consumer, we haven't actually had in a really clear way. And mm-hmm. so we unlocked a lot of that so we can prioritize, all right, who are the customers that we really want to hit? You know, understanding that, like unlocking that information around the group of members who have never actually made a purchase was huge for us in the last year. Oh, well, look at all these people that aren't doing anything. How can I focus on them to activate them? What special journey do I need to build out? Because I'm the one that has access to their information at this point. They're not going back into a store. They're only Mm -hmm. hearing from me. So how do I tell them about Prest, get them back in, especially without leveraging discounts on discounts on discounts? That's been a big change for us in the last year as well. Pulling back from you know, changing a promotion every two weeks to more of an evergreen strategy of like, this is the one promotion that we have out all the time, apart from like maybe it's so yesterday was National Acai Day. So we did, you know, a little mini promotion for acai bowls. Like mm-hmm. beyond that, it's challenging. And that's where like the personalization elements come in as well, like understanding, okay, can I know what item they got for free so I can kind of upsell them with something else or looking in the data and saying, hey, it might not be worth our time to worry about these folks right now. Let's worry about the actually active purchasing members and how we can get them either to move into VIP or to increase their retention rate. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So finding not just the most important cohorts necessarily, but also moving beyond discounting and into like almost how do we make a more relevant experience to them so that we can get more from them without always leaning on that. I think that's something that is definitely a challenge for many people in the loyalty space. And it's, yeah, it's always interesting to hear uh, how you're addressing that. And you mentioned app a few times that like you mentioned this example of like the QR code to pull like offline customers online and kind of give you more data on them. Can you talk a little bit about which channels you're seeing work well, which you're seeing work not so well these days? So email is our primary channel. I'm a big, and I think we spoke about this the last time we talked, but you know, I'm a believer in email across every industry I've been in. The number one thing I want from my consumer, the number one piece of information I want is their email address. And that continues to be for us our number one driver when it comes to retention and re-engagement of those customers. Like we have really good, you know, opt-in rates, really low unsubscribe rates. The app is right now, it's, just a parity with the website and it's serving as mostly another, just another purchasing channel. I think there's opportunity to build that out into some more gamification elements. Like how does it really fit into like our loyalty program? Is it just for our most loyal customers? It's still something that's only been out for about two years. And so that's still something that we are really honestly working through. You know, we leverage push, we leverage SMS, we leverage in-app messages, but email is still our, you know, on the digital side, it's our number one, our number one channel. 
And has that been a challenge then? I just out of curiosity in terms of the changes that we've seen in the email space, right? Like more stuff going into filtered inboxes, more stuff going to spam, like Apple's mail privacy initiatives. What does that look like for you when you're, you know, your number one channel is email? Honestly, it hasn't been as difficult as I thought it would be when all the changes came out. I think everyone sort of went, crap, what are we going to do? But if you're sending content that your customers want, whether that's educational, transactional, whatever, like they're still going to open it. You know, we're sending an email almost every single day and, you know, still have like a 60% open rate across all of our customers, not just folks that are are buying. So even though, you know, I do think Zen metrics are, you know, they're just kind of vanity, but it's still nice to report that back to uh, like a leadership team. But I don't, for us, it hasn't hurt us too badly because we've had, we have the brand recognition. We had really clean, healthy lists. So folks, you know, they want to interact with our brand. They want to get stuff from Prest. Yeah, it really is, again, like focusing on that value for the customer rather than necessarily trying to go after volume. Like, how do we be as relevant as possible to everyone? If you can trust that 60% open rate, that's incredible. If you're sending messages, you know, emails every day and you're getting that kind of engagement, you obviously do have a loyal base, people that are interacting with the brand. So, yeah, that's a very strong place to build from. I mean, you've mentioned one-to-one personalization a couple times. That's obviously difficult at scale. What does that look like in your your email program? Like how are you connecting one-to-one with those customers? I mean, right now it's around product and product relevancy. So recommending products that we think you're likely to purchase based on your past purchases or by similar customers like you. We're using dynamic yields for all of our recommendation services. And that's something we only launched in the last six months. Previously, it was simply based on information in the customer profile and saying, all right, you've you know recently purchased a vitamin C pack. I probably don't need you to tell you about a vitamin C pack again, like at that simplistic level. And now we're moving more toward dynamic content. And you mentioned the product quiz too. Like, where does that live? Is that on the app? Is it in web? How do you like deliver that let product quiz experience to your yeah. customers? It'll be a landing page that will direct folks to either in paid ads and an email starting off. Again, it's not live yet. It's still going through ADA okay. compliance review, but it will be, you know, it'll be a landing page so we can send folks there from anywhere. I think it will be really interesting to test on the paid acquisition side. Um, I know, you know, Facebook ads do see some pretty good engagement around quizzes. So I think it will be a, a good acquisition tool for us as well as getting that zero party first party data. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's a perfect mix of both using it as an acquisition tool, but like learning more about your existing like customer database as well. So I think that'll, yeah, very curious to check back in in a few months, hopefully when it's out of compliance and see how it went. Yeah, you've given a a great overview of what you're doing right now at at Prest uh, and kind of your challenges, how you're solving for some of them. Looking forward a little bit, can you talk to me about something that excites you in consumer marketing? I do think there's, a lot of opportunity in different channels, right? I know I'm like old school email marketer, email's not dead. Like I, I'm that person, it's fine. I like very much believe in it, but I understand not everyone wants to hear from you in that space. So, you know, we've opened up, we've seen the emergence of text messaging, we've seen the emergence of other channels to reach out, you know, Facebook messaging, WhatsApp, things like that. And I think there's gonna be a lot of value and a lot of value in allowing a customer to say, this is where I want to be hear from. I think. The default has become, and I remember launching my first preference center 
you know, 10 years ago or whatever that had they built that where we built in the ability to select frequency. We were like, I can't believe that we're letting people say how often that they want us to talk to them. And adding that channel piece is going to unlock even more of that personalization and like one to one conversation that we're we're trying to get because, right, I'm realistic. Not everyone wants to get an email. It's fine. Like, for me, I'm fine giving my email out. I would rather, you know, giving my phone number out is more personal to me, but that's not the case for someone else. So like, let's let them choose. And for press specifically, you know, we are collecting phone numbers as part of our onboarding experience for our membership program, but we're not leveraging it very much on the marketing side. So I'm excited to open that up a little bit more and understand those types of customers and how yeah. they want to be heard from. I think, again, that's such a great perspective of always thinking about the communication preferences of the customer, right? Like we've seen a lot of, obviously we're in the messaging space, so we are very bullish on that, but we've also seen a lot of data about, I think particularly for younger generations, like I think I even have this personally, like I captained a soccer team here in New York and I've like, we're a bunch of older people that are like, you know, let's say 35 to 40. And then we've also had new joiners on the team and like the younger kids that are like 20, 22. They never let, respond to any of my emails, but like I hit them up on WhatsApp and I can always get a response. So I feel like we are seeing that shift and it's going to it's gonna make a big difference in how businesses communicate. But I love that idea of the communication preference center right now. For me, it's always just like app notifications or email, but I could totally envision a day where there's like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger and all the other channels right in there so that you can really like tune that to your own preferences. Yeah, absolutely. Gen Z, come come change the world, man. <laughs> I believe in them. <laughs> yeah. And is there, you I mean, because you, you brought up Messenger and WhatsApp, is there anything that you're exploring in that space? Or right now it's limited to SMS? Right now it's limited to SMS. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, as a one woman team, there's a lot of other priorities uh, on, yeah. on your plate right now, too. Yeah. I think, you know, looking back over all the industries that you've worked in, like you're have focused a lot on retention. Like what are the top three pieces of advice for other retention marketers or things that you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your career? Oh boy. The first thing I would say, and this maybe is going to come across as like a little bit vague or maybe a little bit too obvious, but I think retention marketing and email are not really seen as like a fun, sexy thing to do. Uh, it's often, at least in my experience, sometimes like pulling teeth to get the resources to like do a new ESP integration or get new events. And it's important to just stand up and believe in your channels and like make the case. We have the data. We know it works. We know these channels are worth our time and worth our investment, both financially and otherwise. And I wish, you know, as like a little baby retention marketer that I had a, had a louder voice and was like, actually, no, this is really good. Like we should be using these channels for good and not for, you know, spamming our customers with promos. Like there's new, exciting ways we can do this. And I think I've been fortunate because I've worked in so many different industries to see how those different channels and levers have worked, you know, in Facebook games, right? Unlocking like a Facebook notification, a fa that pre-Facebook messenger, right? This is the years, the days of like Farmville. That's to date myself a little bit. You know, that was a whole new space for us. Like, oh my gosh, like what if we could talk to someone on Facebook that's playing our game and send them a message when like, their base gets attacked. It was like a hardcore Facebook, you know, hardcore Facebook games. So that that's often my number one thing when I bring on new team member. I'm like, you're here for a reason. This is really important. And like, don't let anybody tell you that it's not important or it's not worth our time. The second thing I would say is become as data savvy as possible. Not necessarily like 
all right, you don't have to like learn SQL, it's helpful, but like understand the numbers, like work with data scientists if you are lucky enough to have them to build out dashboards and like understand at the campaign level, at the user level, what's going on so that you aren't getting that pressure of, hey, the only important thing is an open or a click. Like there's more important things to be looking at. And if you can track them and you can attribute it, you can make the case for your channels even better. And the third I would say is, you know, it's a super cross-functional role. And that's been really invaluable for my career is being able to work with product, work with engineering, work with creative at every single place I've been, whether it was like a Twitch when it was 500 people or, you know, Remind when it was 50. Like it's a role that fits into so many different places. And it really helps you learn, especially if you're just coming into the marketing space. Yeah, I love that. Stand up for yourself, you know, learn how to use data to stand up for yourself even better and make the case for your channel and also recognize how cross-functional it is because you're right, you know, CRM touches literally everything as soon as someone is a customer or even part of your funnel. And so it's so key uh, to kind of embrace other teams uh, to help make that case for you because like you said, it can be, it's a complex journey. So getting all the insights of those different pieces is key to then to do your job better. Yeah, I love that. You know, looking forward even further, no one loves to make predictions, but five years from now, what does the future of consumer marketing look like for you? Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Only five years? You can go 10, go 20 if you want. How far in the future do you want to go? I think we're going to see a lot of the same channels performing really well as people get, especially on, you know, SMS, people get more comfortable with that. I mean, remember when online banking launched and we're all like freaked out about looking at our bank accounts online and now it's just second nature and same with email and now it's same with giving your phone number away same with allowing access to your whatsapp but i think that the strong foundation channels are going to remain you know we've seen that like with the growth of substack right they have two million paying subscribers that's people paying for a newsletter like if you had asked me three years ago like i would have said no one's gonna pay to subscribe to a newsletter, like no way. And now it's this incredible place for writers to access. So I think that we are going to see changes, but not as many changes as we think. Because I think, you know, every couple of years we hear that story, right? Facebook Messenger is going to take out email. Like, okay, well, that didn't happen. So, <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think it's not so much about replacing the channels is like stacking the channels right on top of each other and like work together yeah and like you said imagine a future where the you know your preference center includes your channel mix as a customer with the company like i think that is much more interesting future that is much more aligned with how customers want to engage because ultimately like you said every channel or people aren't going to suddenly not have email addresses they're not suddenly not going to have a phone number that you can text but they probably will want to have something via Messenger or WhatsApp if that is their preferred method of communication. So it's, I totally agree with you. It's like we shouldn't follow the popular logic of like, oh, this channel is dead, like long live this new channel. It's yeah. just going to be like, hey, you know, what if I had introduced email in 2005 at my company? Like that's the opportunity I have now with this new channel. Like let's stack them. Yeah. And I think, you know, consumers are getting more and more comfortable, honestly, with personalization and with understanding how I'm trying to think of a way to say this without sounding big brothery, but like how we are understanding their habits and, you know, how retargeting is working together with email and how like all the pieces that are coming together. I think it's good that consumers are being more savvy and whether they're saying like, my phone is listening to me 
or, you know, we can use those channels in ways that are a lot friendlier, I think, than we have in the past. Yeah. And I think to your point about the product quiz, right? Like consumers are totally willing to give their data when you're explicit and upfront about it. And you can give them a reason for why you're asking for that data, because it's about personalizing their experience. I think where they start to feel like it's Big Brother is when they don't understand that you're tracking them and then you're doing all of these things like snooping on them across other sites. Like that's what upsets people. But I think we have an opportunity as marketers to engage customers in a much more direct way that's built around value that we can, you know, ultimately results in your point, which is to like make things more relevant, be better brands to that customer. And that builds trust. Exactly. And I think trust is what makes customers stick with you, make them stay loyal, makes them choose your brand over others. So I think there's a bright future there. I'm glad you see the brightness too, Georgia. I do. (laughs) And thank yeah, that's all we have time for today. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If people want to, you know, follow your journey and learn more about you, where should they go? Uh, LinkedIn, that'd be the place to be. You can find me, Georgia Price, on LinkedIn. On Instagram, it's mostly pictures of babies and horses. So (laughs) I'll be honest. Well, if you want to get in touch about anything marketing related, then you heard Georgia Price. Go to LinkedIn. It's Georgia Price from Press Juice. Send some feedback about the episode. I always love feedback about the episode too. So don't hesitate to send me a DM. Future guests, topics you want to hear about or anything that you heard here. And check out Spectrum on LinkedIn or go to spectrum.io to learn more about what we're doing in the messaging space. Georgia, thanks so much for taking time out of your Friday off to, to talk to me. No problem. Thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah. And thank you uh, to everyone else who's listening and, and watching. And we'll see you on the next episode. 